Welcome to the Adelaide Living Podcast, where we share the stories of the city. Adelaide is a city shaped by stories. Those of the traditional owners of the land and of our increasingly diverse community. Each story is unique, but what links them is the place of Adelaide, a city designed for life. So join us as we uncover inspiring stories of the people of Adelaide. Based at Adelaide's Lot 14, but globally focused in every way, Presogen is a company proving that artificial intelligence, or AI, can have a profound impact on women's health outcomes everywhere. Co-founded by entrepreneur Dr. Michelle Perugini, they have literally changed lives with their product, Life Whisperer, which harnesses AI to improve outcomes for people undergoing IVF. Theirs is groundbreaking work, already successfully helping people around the world realize their dream of having a child. So what inspired Michelle and her team to take on the femtech space from right here in Adelaide? And how does Life Whisperer work? Let's hear from Michelle. So Life Whisperer is essentially a web application that can assess the quality of embryos during the IVF process. And what it does is actually just takes images of the embryos from a standard camera that exists in every IVF clinic in the world and it runs its analysis across those images and it can identify which embryos are more or less likely to lead to a pregnancy. That's groundbreaking. It's amazing. It's very exciting technology. And how they do this normally is by an embryologist looking down a microscope and they make a visual assessment of embryos, basically. So they're highly trained in that process, of course. They're highly trained at looking at embryos, but of course, they're limited to what their eye can see down the microscope. And what artificial intelligence is really good at is analysing tens of thousands of historical cases where it knows whether a pregnancy resulted or not. And it essentially just classifies embryos on the basis of a historical data set where it knows what the outcome was. It sounds very logical. It sounds very sensible. It actually sounds quite simple. I have a distinct feeling there's an enormous amount of science, hard work and tech behind this. Take us through some of that. Well, this has been around three and a half years in the making And it takes in data from different international clinics all across the world, four different countries, clinical trials like every other medical product, regulatory approvals, quality management, data privacy, managing private patient information. It's an enormous undertaking in the back end, but the simplicity of the actual product for the clinics is what's really beautiful about this. It takes them about 15 seconds to run an analysis to hopefully improve outcomes and success rates for IVF patients. So that's the beauty of the technology. It's hard in the back end, but the front end is incredibly simple. We we want to come to that back end and how much hard work is there. But before we get there, what what's your role in this? And as part of that, what excites you about this business? So first, your role. I have many roles. So I'm a, I'm the CEO and I'm also one of the co-founders of the business. But my background's actually in medical sciences. So I did a PhD in medicine, spent around 10 years in stem cell biology and genetics. So I've just got a general passion for healthcare and a love for improving healthcare outcomes. That's always been my passion. But around in 2007, actually, I co-founded my first AI company. So I started to understand how technology could actually improve some of the things that we're doing day to day. 
And so I guess my passion has come from combining both the AI technology with my passion for healthcare outcomes. So it's a lovely mixture of the two. It is, it is. And I also have a personal connection to this particular story because I had a lot of trouble conceiving my first child and went through all sorts of different fertility treatments. Fortunately, didn't have to go to the extent of IVF, but it took years and that emotional roller coaster that parents, intended parents go through when they can't have a child naturally is actually really challenging. So it's just a really beautiful application of technology to improve people's lives. That's a fabulous story. And it would also indicate, I saw on your website that there is, um, you're looking at all sides of people involved in this in this challenge. I, I've, I've seen it relate, uh, referred to as a trauma of, of not being able to conceive. And you look not only at the women's but woman's perspective, but you also look at the mental health of the father. Do you want to tell us a bit about, about that? Yeah, IVF is, trauma sounds like a very strong word, yeah. but IVF actually is quite traumatic for patients. And if you've ever gone through it yourself or mm -hmm. if you know a couple who has gone through it, it actually, it breaks up marriages it's very difficult um, time for both the male and female. For the female, it's obviously all the hormones are, are challenging and the physical treatment itself as well as the emotional burden. But for men, it's actually an emotionally challenging time as well. And what we're interested as a company in doing is not just looking at embryo quality, but we're actually looking at how technology can improve the entire IVF process. Everything from sperm assessment to genetics of, of the embryo and preventing genetic defects through to improving pregnancy outcomes through embryo selection. Is this part of the rise of what I believe is called femtech? And femtech, if I've got it right, is the growth of women inventors, innovators and technologists. It is. Femtech is a variety. Of, it's kind of a, a fairly new term, I think, for an industry that really focuses on improving women's healthcare outcomes. So it's not necessarily about women entrepreneurs and founders, but it's more about improving healthcare outcomes for women. And the reason that that's important is because women's health has been an underserved area from an investment perspective, but also from a technology perspective for a very long time. And I think now it's becoming very apparent that there's a massive opportunity for these types of areas to really be improved and, you know, for more investment to be put into improving women's health outcomes. What do you think was required for to, to make the shift? Because, you know, we, we, we had, had it uh, taken from a male perspective for so long and now we're seeing the shift. What What do you think was the catalyst and why did it take so long? I don't know. I don't know what the catalyst was, but it's really, it's quite interesting because one of the big challenges with AI is that to build any AI product that works effectively across a whole population, it needs to have data that represents both females and males in any, for any application that you're building. But one of the interesting things is that for females, historically, there's not a lot of data collected for healthcare. So a lot of clinical trials have typically been done with male data cohorts. It's really interesting. So there's this severe lack of data that relates to females. And so it's 
kind of this inherent bias that may or may not be intentional, but there's an inherent bias in the data that underpins some of these technologies. So it's I think that's something that's recognised now with all these technologies that need data and need representation across both of those categories. How much have we to learn about AI and its potential benefits? I think we know a fair bit about AI and its potential benefits, but I think we're just at the, there's two phases of AI. There's the research phase, which is developing algorithms that solve specific problems or specific application areas. But then there's the actual clinical utility of AI if we're talking about the healthcare perspective. And so whilst there's been a lot of research and development on the AI side, there's very few examples of actually clinically available AI technologies that are being used commercially. And the reason is there's a big path to follow or there's a big gap between those research-based algorithms and actually developing a, a practical clinical product. Tell us about your story of doing that. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a challenging one. So I guess our story, so we we have as a company, Preston is very global first focused. So although we have our research and development team in South Australia in Adelaide, we actually have a global first approach. And the reason for that is that if you want to build an AI product that can scale out to any clinic globally, it needs to be based on global data sets. So of course, the first step is to gather an enormous amount of global data for the problem that you're trying to solve for. That means interacting with many different clinicians. It means interacting with different businesses, putting in place business models that incentivize them to contribute data to build the thing to solve the problem. And then, of course, there's this whole regulatory and compliance and testing process that happens in the middle. And that's incredibly challenging because it's not just clinical trials, but it's all of the software protections around data privacy. It's around applying for regulatory approvals, which are different in every country in the world. It's about getting buy-in from the clinics. And then, of course, you need to actually build the interface that the clinicians need to use, which needs to be practical. It needs to be easy and it needs to be built with them in mind. So it's quite a challenging process. It's a massive process. It is. How long did it take you to go from the start of the idea of using AI for Life Whisperer to getting that oh-so-simple 15-second interface for the clinicians? It's taken us three years That's to massive. go from that initial idea through to, through to actual commercial availability of the product, three years. And when you say us? Us. So initially it was the three co-founders and a software engineer who in fact is, he's a pseudo, I'll call him a pseudo co-founder, extraordinarily talented software engineer who was part of our previous business as well. And so it was the four of us for the first two years and we did an enormous amount of work for a very small team. We now have a team of 15, which is amazing because we have a really nice mix of regulatory and commercial as well as scientific, um, medical, AI and software within our team. But it's a relatively small team for the amount that we've achieved within that period of time. How do you find your life as an entrepreneur? I mean, one, one thinks of it as glamour and wonderful and smart ideas and action. Is that the reality? 
Definitely not. <laughs> we were talking about this before. I think fabulous and glamorous are not words I would associate with with being an entrepreneur. It's hard work, but I think the types of people, for myself, it's not about the money. It's not about the hard work. I'm more than happy to work hard. That's what I enjoy doing. For me, it's about the achievement. I want to achieve something big and I want to change people's lives. That's that's what gets me up in the morning. And if I can do that, then I'm happy. However difficult it is, I will overcome those challenges because that's what I'm driven for. How do you find Adelaide as a as a city for entrepreneurs? I mean, we have the the chief entrepreneur, Jim Wally, that you know, I mentioned we interviewed earlier. How, how do you find, is there a climate that supports in Adelaide or, or how do you find it? There is. There is definitely a climb, a supportive climate for entrepreneurs here. The challenges of the past, I think, are not the same challenges that we have now. I think the city is very much oriented. It's got a very strong technical base here. So we have very strong talent in the, I can talk to my industry, we have very strong talent in the computer vision and AI space. In fact, very unique talent. We've got one of the institutes here, the Australian Institute for Machine Learning, is top three in the world for computer vision. That's not in Australia, that's top three in the world, right? So we have the talent here. We've got a very strong life science sector. And so for us, it's a really logical place to have our research and development capability. But of course, we do view ourselves as a global distributed business. So we need people in different countries to service those markets within the right time zones to sell to customers in those markets. So it's unrealistic to think you can do everything from here, but it's an amazing headquarter base for for the research and development. Now, Adelaide sort of prides itself on its focus on social policy, health, certainly research and the workforce. Do do those elements help contribute as well? They do. They definitely help contribute because I think having a strong, if the local environment is oriented towards the types of technologies that you're creating, it's a lot easier to attract talent. It's a lot easier to keep talent here. It's a lot easier to get funding opportunities. So I think it's really South Australia is kind of becoming, it's learning how to orient itself for particular technologies to the world and particular capabilities. And the reason that we've done so well here in the deep tech space with cybersecurity and the Australian Space Agency and AI technologies is because South Australia is not at a geographical disadvantage with those technologies because they're all online, right? They're all remote technologies. They don't require customers to be in the city that you're operating in. They don't, all they need is kind of cloud-based servers and data centres and you can sell your products and build your products with anyone all across the world right from here. So I think gone are the days where you need to be co-located with your customer. The world is a customer for these technologies. So you don't need to do that anymore. And so South Australian, you're not at a disadvantage being here building those technologies. And how do you find sort of, you know, the three universities and the, the sort of kind of North Terrace linear hub? Is that sort of also part of attracting and retaining the talent that you that you mentioned? There's an immense amount of talent that comes from the universities here and they're all very good at very different things. So I think they're quite complementary. And certainly the life science precinct 
the medical research precinct at the end of North Terrace is an incredible hub of medical research, which is really valuable for companies like ours to draw talent from. And the Institute of Machine Learning at this end of at this end of North Terrace as is well. Is that Lot 14? Yes, correct, correct. So we're located in the Lot 14 precinct. That's where our company is headquartered. And again, it's just we it's very unique here in South Australia because we're small enough that we can have that real, true, collaborative environment. And I think that's one of the main benefits of our ecosystem locally. And Lot 14, I mean, that's... That's leading edge in itself, isn't it, Lot 14? The redevelopment is remarkable. It is a beautiful space to work in. It's very technologically advanced with the Gig City kind of internet connectivity is really amazing and it's quite intimidating actually. There's so many companies in there just doing world-leading stuff. I mean, there's you know, space companies, there's incredible creative industries companies, there's a cybersecurity centre a whole range of other deep tech AI and a whole range of other other companies in there. And it's just being able to meet with them in the corridors is just, it's an unbelievable opportunity. You just don't get that anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it would be that collaborative spirit. And did that sort of help you all get through COVID, having that spirit, even though I guess you were working from home? Yeah, I think... I think the networks in South Australia are very strong and I feel so fortunate to have so many, so many very close, I would say intellectual, you know, intellectually similar collaborators and networks, both within Lot 14, but also more broadly in the state. I think it's just that collective friendship that allows you to get through something like COVID. And it's not necessarily, obviously, we're all working from home as everyone else has been. So you've not had that opportunity to bump into people in the corridors. But by the same token, you know that you're all there and constantly we're getting messages from different people and sending out messages, making sure everyone's okay. And I don't think we've lost that collective spirit. It means a lot. How much is that collective spirit and the work that's happening, say, at Lot 14 and others, say, Tonsley as well, how much does that level of entrepreneurship mean for the future success of any city, but obviously here, particularly Adelaide? It's everything. It's literally everything. I think you cannot be an entrepreneur in isolation. It's impossible. It's a very lonely place to be if you don't have supportive networks. And I always harp on about this at every event that I speak at. Whenever people ask me what the biggest secret to success as an entrepreneur is, my answer is always the same. It's the networks. It's those networks that you can lean on for help, for advice when you need just someone to talk to from a supportive perspective or when you need something technical, when you need linkages to someone else, it's that network that bears fruit every time. And I think that's just an incredibly important part of the ecosystem here. That was one of my questions is the level of emotional support that you find. And I think you've answered that beautifully, that that's what you get through COVID and other times. Obviously, all the businesses future-focused how do you see your business moving forward? We're expanding globally. So we've already started selling Life Whisperer into Australia, which is going really well. And we now have regulatory approvals in over seven different global regions. 
Right across the world, we have clinics trialling our technology ready to use for patients everywhere. So that's really exciting. But we're also expanding out our products. So we've got another two products under development for the fertility sector. We're also looking more broadly in women's health at things like breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And it's just a really exciting time for us. We've we've spent all the hard yards kind of building up our capability and technology. We've got a first product that's becoming successfully used in practice. And now we're just on that scale phase. We're raising investment to facilitate that growth. And it's just a really exciting time for our team and company. Now more than ever, people need hope. So how does AI actually deliver that? And as part of that, some people are still frightened of it. So how does it give hope? And how can we let people understand how much good it can bring and they don't need to be frightened of it? It's an interesting and very complicated question. (laughs) The main issue with AI is trust. There's a lack of trust from people who don't understand it fully to those that are providing it. And I think there needs to be a meeting of the minds. So my view is that technology needs to be broken down to the extent that it can be understood by the people that are using it. It needs to be built with data privacy concerns in mind so that it mitigates that risk and that lack of trust that people have with these types of technologies. And then it needs to be designed so that it's educational and so that it's actually providing a clinical benefit that's very simple for the end user to understand. And I think finally it needs to be built with those end users. So we have a clinical collaboration model, basically, which means that we work with the clinics to build the products that service their needs. We own the IP, but we bring them into the fold in the design process so that we know that we're building something that they need, that they trust. And bringing them along for the journey of the build means that they're educated around what it's doing and how it's been built and what it's based on. And that kind of increases their level of trust around those products. I think that's terribly important and and terribly valuable that you do because so many in the past, particularly, it was a case of trust us, we've done the hard work Mm -hmm. for you. And that doesn't always follow. Whereas if you're actually building something with someone who will be using it, they feel the confidence. They also share their experiences more readily to help you get their perspective that strengthens your model. Correct. That's exactly right. With Life Whisperer, I gather it's completely non-invasive. Completely non-invasive. Which is just, so it's AI and it's non-invasive AI and sort of even I could read that and think, that makes extremely good sense. It's actually interesting because when you talk about how we first came up with this idea, the genesis of the idea was from our co-founder, Jonathan Hall, and he was at the time doing this PhD project using different techniques to analyse embryos. And some of those techniques were shining specific lights at the embryo or maybe putting something in the culture media of the embryo. But of course, he was thinking, well, that's not practical. No one's going to let you do that with an embryo. So how can we think of something that's completely non-invasive that is better than what we're doing now? No, it's not going to be 100% accurate, but it's way better than what we're doing now and can provide a practical improvement in the outcome. And that's really been the basis for our company and what we seek to achieve. It's not about being 100% accurate. It's about being better than what we are now using technology in a way that's non-invasive, that is practical to implement and is cheap for patients. Well, that's the other thing because it's a, it is 
very affordable for the clinicians and very cheap for the patients. So um, I could see that uh, this would probably be rolling out across clinics fairly widely, would it not? Yes. I mean, there's one of the main benefits of AI technology is that you can scale it and at economies of scale, you can offer it very inexpensively for, for patients and clinics. So that's one of the really nice things about the technology. If you if you get the scaling right, then you can offer it at a price that's not cost prohibitive for patients because it's the last thing you want to do in something like IVF where patients are already forking out massive amounts of money for their IVF treatments is to, you know, we don't want to be adding another financial burden for them. So, yeah, it's, it's very inexpensive. And I, I, I believe you've actually reduced that to zero for a period of time. We have. We have. So we've put out a free offer for all of our clinics in Australia uh, and any new clinics that want to come on board and any patients that want to access the technology, free use of Life Whisperer until the end of June. And we're looking to do a similar rollout in other countries where they're now starting to relieve restrictions around fertility services. And it's kind of our way of alleviating some of that financial burden, but also the time that's been lost for patients these are like the IVF process is a time critical process for patients. They can't wait forever to try and have a baby. A lot of them are of advanced maternal age and this might be their last chance to have a baby. And then you have some situation like this COVID situation where everything's shut down and they don't have that opportunity. It's very stressful for them. So it's a very small thing that we think we can do to kind of help shorten the time to pregnancy for them, make sure they're successful first time and get rid of that cost burden for them in the meantime. Might be a small thing from your perspective. I'm sure it's going to have a very, very big impact. And already you're getting the results coming in in babies. We are. We are. We're just starting to see our first babies on the back of using Life Whisperer. And that's just, it just makes it all worthwhile. It's amazing. Some of these patients have been trying to get pregnant for many years through IVF and having used our technology just shortens that time for them and reduces the number of potential IVF cycles that they need to go through. Very exciting. Silver linings, silver linings for AI. How can we expand these silver linings using AI to improve the uh, healthcare of men and women? I think in the in the healthcare sector, my one, I guess, silver lining is that AI should not be sold to clinicians. It should be built with clinicians. I think that's the main thing and that's the whole premise of our com- company. If you don't build it with the people who are going to eventually use it, they will not trust it and they will not understand it to the extent that will give them a level of comfort around it. So it needs to be built collaboratively. Perfect. Last question. Any advice for entrepreneurs? Advice for entrepreneurs, surround yourself with people who share your vision. I think that's the biggest thing. Many times when you're an entrepreneur, you have these big ideas that form your vision and many people will be quick to shoot those ideas down and call you too ambitious and say that it's not possible. You need to surround yourself with people who share your vision and who understand that you can achieve that vision. I think that's really important because that's what will drive you forward. And that's why the entrepreneur network is so incredibly important because it's other people who have their own visions that are big and ambitious and may or may not work, but they're willing to give it a go. That's perfect. Michelle, thank you very much indeed. 
Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Adelaide Living Podcast, which is brought to you by the City of Adelaide. Discover more stories about people, places and projects having a meaningful impact on our city by subscribing to this podcast or visiting the Adelaide Living website at living.cityofadelaide.com.au.